many of us are probably familiar with the term agnostic. Uh, the dictionary defines an agnostic as a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or the nature of God. So an agnostic is a person who, who claims neither faith nor disbelief in God. Then we have the atheist, and the atheist is absolutely sure, he's absolutely convinced that there is no God, but the agnostic, he's not so sure either way. Maybe God does exist, and maybe God doesn't exist. But there's another group of people, a third group of pe people, and I believe that this group of people is much larger than those who claim to be either atheist or agnostic. This group of people are agnostics. I-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, which simply means this third group of people, they simply ignore God. They really don't care if he exists or not. They're going to live their lives, not necessarily in ignorance of God, but frankly, they don't care if he exists or not. Now, don't you hate to be ignored? We all do. But God will not be ignored. God will get the attention of every unbeliever one way or another. And that's partially what these trumpet judgments are designed to do. And yes, they are carried out in response to the prayers of God's people, while at the same time God uses them to send a message to sinful humanity that he cannot be ignored. God uses the trumpet judgments to warn them that they're putting themselves at risk of eternal judgment. So God sends a message that he does indeed exist, that he is the creator. And as the creator, he is sovereign over his creation and that all mankind are accountable to him. And though many may choose to ignore God, what they fail to realize is just because they choose to ignore God, that does not remove their culpability to their creator. They are still accountable to him. And as we learned last week, even in the midst of all of these judgments, God shows grace. And we'll see that again this week. For instance, you know, when the seals were opened, only a quarter of the earth was judged. Three quarters was spared. What is that? That is a demonstration of God's grace. As the four trumpets here are sounded in Revelation chapter 8, we see that a third of the earth is judged. But still, two-thirds is spared. Again, God gives grace. As I said last week, I'll say it again this morning, even in judgment, God shows that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we also have to acknowledge that these judgments will increase in intensity until the final day of judgment. And at that point, there is no longer the opportunity for grace. But now, sinful mankind does have the opportunity to repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ. Now, perhaps you've noticed, as we read this same passage last week and we read it again here this morning, that there are some parallels between 
the trumpet judgments and the ten plagues that God brought against the land of Egypt. Now, what was the purpose of the plagues? Well, part of the purpose of the plagues was that Pharaoh would be convinced one way or another to let God's people go. The plagues were a means of deliverance for God's people. So God first brought judgment against the land of Egypt as a means of deliverance. Remember, God had promised Abraham that through him this mighty nation would come, and to this nation he would give them a land. It came to be known as the promised land. And if you remember, as the book of Exodus, we get into the book of Exodus, God hears the prayers, he hears the cries of his people, and just as he does in Revelation chapter 8, he responds to the prayers and the cries of his people. But the ten plagues were also a message to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that he and he alone was the one true God. Now, we won't go into this this morning for time's sake, but if you do a nice little study, you will find out that every plague that God brought against the land of Egypt was a direct attack on one of their false gods. And so what God was doing was he was showing Pharaoh as well as the people of Egypt all of your gods are nothing but frauds and fakes. They are absolutely powerless in front of me. They can do nothing to save you. That was part of the message that he was sending to the people of Egypt as well as Pharaoh. And beloved, I truly believe that the same message needs to be heard again in our day. Say, why do you say that? Because vast multitudes, and sadly, many professing Christians are trusting in the false gods of this world. False gods, I, by the way, I would say of their own making. And sadly, and perhaps tragically, they at some point will come to realize that their gods, just like the gods of Egypt, are nothing but fakes and frauds. They're going to find that they have placed their trust and those gods, those idols who are mute, deaf, weakless, weak, weak, weak and powerless to save them in their time of need. But you know what I believe the biggest false god that people trust in today? You know what it is? It's themselves. They look to themselves. And sadly, they will find one day, unless they repent and come to faith in Christ, that trust in themselves was a fool's errand. So here, again, in Revelation chapter 8, we see God responding to the prayers of his people. And just as he did in Egypt, he sends judgment. But in, Egypt, in the case of Egypt, he sent judgment just on one nation. But here, we see that he sends judgment against the entire earth. Now, before we get into the specifics of the four trumpets, I'd like to point out and I'll continue to do this to help us keep our thinking straight, that these four trumpets parallel the unsealing of the seals in which the four horses and their riders were released on the earth. 
And if you remember, the four horses, when they were released, they unleashed warfare, violence, famine, and death. And we're going to see similar, something similar as these first four trumpets are sounded. And again, I point this out to help us understand, to help us clarify our thinking that these events are parallel events. They are simultaneous events. They're taking place at the same time. They are not sequential events. It's not as if we have to wait until all of the seals have been opened before the trumpets sound. No, they take place at the same time. And each one of these uh, events has a unique purpose. Derek Thomas helps us here. He says, the seals view the unfolding of the redemptive purposes of God from the point of view of the Lord's own people, those who are sealed. The trumpets view this same reality from the point of the view of the unsealed, those who are not the people of God. The opening of the seals brings great consolation to the people of God. The sounding of the trumpets brings great woes upon those who are not the people of God. So we see that there's two events here with two separate purposes. So with that little bit of background, let's examine the four trumpets described here in Revelation chapter 8. Let's look at verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown down upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees was burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, as I said last week, God uses what mankind worships, i.e. nature, as a means of judgment against them. So when this first angel sounded his trumpet, blew his trumpet, John says, hail and fire mixed for blood were thrown upon the earth. And as you might Im uh, imagine, this had devastating consequences. And John describes that a third of the earth was burned up by fire. A third of the trees were burned up by fire from heaven. And finally, all the green grass was burned up. Now, what happened here? is unique but it's not entirely new because if we go back to the book of exodus and look at some of the plagues we will find that something similar transpired in the land of egypt let me read for you exodus chapter 9 verses 24 and 25 there was there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Now try, if you can, to imagine living in Egypt during this time. And I doubt very seriously, though I could be wrong, I doubt very seriously that the people of the land of Egypt had any indication that this was going to happen. Pharaoh knew it was going to happen, but I'm not sure the people did. Now, just imagine that all of a sudden, the sky changes, and from the sky comes hail and fire. And notice what it says, fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Say, you think this was lightning? I don't think it was lightning. I think it was fire. Now, we think about some of the storms that we have here. In, uh, in particular, I grew up in Ohio, and it's considered more of the Midwest, I guess. 
and as tornadoes were a frequent occurrence and we had to be aware of all those kinds of things. And there was some pretty severe thunderstorms. And you know, the, the, and every once in a while we'd get some hail, but mostly it was rain. But you'd have lightning and have these tremendous thunderclaps of lightning. But you know, it, it might go three or four minutes between each one of them. But here, the Bible says that took place continually. Before the sound of one ended, another one happened. It must have been absolutely terrifying to the people of Egypt to be a part of this, to be in the midst of this. And what was the result? Well, Moses says that the hail struck down everything that was in the field, both man and beast. Every plant and every tree, they were broken. And here's, what, here's what we need to see. It was a picture of total devastation. And there was absolutely nothing that the people of Egypt could do. But here with this first trumpet judgment, there's something different. Yes, we have the hail, and we have the fire, but it also says it is mixed with blood. I think the best understanding of this is the blood comes from the death that results from this judgment. Hail and fire is thrown down to the earth, and it's mixed with blood. That is, a, that is what happens here. People lose their lives. Animals lose their lives. There's a loss of life here. It is a judgment of God. And keep in mind that these judgments, the world again is going to call them natural disasters. But here's what we need to understand. They have happened in every generation since the dawning of the church age and will continue until the second return of Christ. So again, what we, you go back through history and you, you want to you double-check some of the storms, some of the calamities that have happened, guess what they, they were? They were not natural disasters. They were the outworking of the trumpet judgments of God against the earth in order to try and get mankind's attention. So the first trumpet sounds and a third of the land is judged. So what happens when the second trumpet sounds? Well, look at verses 8 and 9 with me. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, let's keep in mind that John is using symbolism here in describing these judgments. Listen, the, the outcomes are real, but the items that he uses are symbolic. So, John says he sees something like a great mountain. Now, he didn't see an actual mountain. I think what he's doing here is, you know, we look at a mountain and we are awed by its size, correct? You know, not the mountains that we have around here, obviously. These are piddly little things back where Dane comes from. Now, those are mountains out there, you know. So, he sees something like that. Something that's humongous. Now, now, we've all probably stood at the, uh, on, on the beach someplace. Me, I do as little as often as, and I get back as quickly as I can. But anyway, I, I have stood there, and I have, I have been awestruck by the, the sheer vastness of the water in front of me. I mean, that's all you can see is water. So the oceans, the seas, they're, they're vast bodies of water. So John sees this object the size of a mountain 
and is cast down into these, to the oceans and the seas, a third part of them. So the first trumpet judgment directly affected the land, but this second trumpet judgment directly affects the sea, a third of the creatures that were in the sea, and a third of the ships on the sea. Say, what's, what's going on here? Well, why are ships out on the ocean normally? They're doing business. They're hauling goods. They're making somebody money. Well, what's taking place here? God is judging the earth economically. Okay? These men who made their living from the sea, if a third of the sea creatures died, well, they had a decreased harvest. They lost their ships. And probably if they lost their ships, some of them lost their lives. So he says that when this object is thrown to the sea, a third of the sea became blood. It became blood. Say, okay, do we have a parallel in the ten plagues? Yes, we do, don't we? And as a matter of fact, it's the very first plague. In the very first plague, the entire Nile River was turned to blood. And what happened when the river turned to blood? Well, the Bible says that all the fish died. And a great stench took hold. Now, I don't know how much fishing you've done. I did a fair amount in my younger days. But when I came to Kentucky, there's two old boys that scared me out of fishing. They said, yeah, you got to watch for the water moccasins everywhere you go. So I gave it up. And, uh, but I did used to fish quite a bit. And one thing I, did, I do know about fish, they stink. Right? Normally, sometimes maybe the water they come out of isn't all that clear, and they just stink. So if a living fish stinks, well, you know, for instance, I, I used to work with a guy who was a, a real health nut, and he would, he would eat uh, fish all the time. Now, I'm not talking good fish like Long John Silver's fish or Culver's fish. I'm, I'm talking this fish that had no skin, no breading, nothing like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he'd pop that thing in a microwave, and what a stink. I'm like, dude, have a little consideration. We got to work here. Well, imagine a whole river full of dead, stinking fish. And if you go back and read Exodus, you'll find out that that lasted for seven days. I think sometimes we read through these plagues and say, okay, that one happened. Now it's over. Let's move on to the second one. No, seven days. Can you imagine? But there's something else that I noticed as I was reading through the plagues. In Exodus 17 of, uh, excuse me, Exodus 7 verse 17, God said this, Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. What was the purpose of the plague? Yes, he was using it as a means of deliverance for his people, but he also wanted Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to know that he was God. That he was sovereign. That this was his creation and that he was in control of this. He wanted Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to know, to understand that he was the one and only true God. Likewise, these first four trumpet judgments are designed to convincingly demonstrate to mankind that he is God. He uses these 
to wake people up to the reality that he is indeed the Lord of all creation. You know, God has not hidden himself, nor is God silent. And through the ten plagues and through these four trumpet judgments, his goal is to clearly demonstrate to the unbelieving world that he is Lord Almighty. And I said last week, the world looks at these things and deems them to be natural disasters and acts of Mother Nature. But I do want to emphasize this again, and I mentioned this somewhat in prayer meeting, that these events provide us as God's children to say to our unbelieving family and our unbelieving friends that he is God, that he is in charge of these things, that these are not random acts of nature. Listen, I'm not here to debate you about global warming, whether it's real or not, but I will say this. Whatever mankind does to try and stop it is futile. Why? Because we are not in control. God is. We need to remember that. We need to be ready and willing and able to share that with people. So the first trumpet sounds. A third of the land is judged. The second trumpet sounds. A third of the oceans and seas are judged. What happens when the third trumpet sounds? Well, look at verses 10 and 11 with me. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So a third of the land has been judged. A third of the seas and the oceans have been judged. And now a third of all the freshwater sources on the earth are judged. You know, the Great Lakes, the stream that runs through your backyard. This, the fresh water is judged. So John says he sees or he describes a, a great star falling from heaven. Most commentators seem to think this is just, uh, could be a meteor that falls to earth. God uses it that way. But here's the important point. Notice that all three of these judgments, where did they originate from? From heaven. From heaven. In the unbelieving world, they will continue to do their best to explain it away. They will say that uh, these are nothing more than the acts of nature. Or they will say this is nothing more than the result of humanity's neglect and polluting of our freshwater sources. Now, God works through means, by the way, beloved. And could he use the fact that we are not good stewards of the water supply that he's given to us as a means of judgment? Absolutely he could. Okay. But the reality behind this, they are the judgments of God. Now what does John mean when he says that a third of the waters became wormwood? Well, wormwood is used in the Bible to describe the, the consequences of sin as sin results in the ruining of life. So if the water becomes wormwood, it becomes what? Ruined. It's not fit to drink anymore. To that end, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, he wrote this, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. So a third of the earth's freshwater sources become poison. 
so that many people will die from drinking the water. So the first trumpet sounds, and a third of the land comes under the judgment of God. Second trumpet sounds, and a third of the seas and oceans come under the judgment of God. The third trumpet sounds, and a third of the earth's freshwater sources come under the judgment of God. Well, what happens when the fourth trumpet sounds? Well, look at verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Here's what you just need to fix in your mind. This really gripped me this morning. God increases the darkness. God increases the darkness. God increases the darkness. And the key is understanding how darkness is used in the scriptures. In the scriptures, darkness is used to describe error, ignorance, sin, rebellion, and death. Darkness represents everything that is opposed to God. Do you see what's happening here? God, in his grace, sends these judgments upon the earth, but yet mankind continues to harden their heart. They are not willing to repent of their sin. And so what's happening here? It becomes darker because of their unwillingness to repent. One commentator said, darkness describes the removal of God's blessing. The book of Proverbs says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Jesus said in John 3.19, and this is the judgment. Now notice this. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and he was the light. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You ever wonder why some people just refuse to repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ? Because they have a darkened heart. They have a darkened understanding. They love the darkness. They revel in the darkness. They enjoy the darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. Sinner loves the darkness. Sinner loves their sin, and they will continue to love their sin until and unless Jesus Christ comes and through the power of the Holy Spirit shines the light of the gospel into their hearts. So let's think about this. Now, with the sounding of the fourth trumpet, God has demonstrated his sovereignty over the, to the totality of creation. Land, ocean, freshwater, sky. So what's the point? The point is there is no place that a sinner can run to, can escape to, can flee to, to escape the judgment of God. It's a frightening picture, isn't it? So do we have a parallel to the fourth trumpet and the ten plagues? Yes. Because in Exodus chapter 10, God sends a darkness. Now listen how it, this darkness is described. It was described as a darkness to be felt. Darkness to be felt. It was oppressive. And the Bible says that for three days, this kind of darkness covered the land of Egypt. The Bible says that it was so dark that no one, now, now imagine this. 
You know, some of us had the power go out last week, and we thought we were suffering for Jesus for about 12 hours because, you know. But this darkness was so dark that they couldn't even see the people next to them in their houses. That's pretty dark. The Bible says that for three days they didn't even rise up. I think what ha what, what's being described here is they were absolutely terrified to move because it was so dark. And how easy is it for us to get disoriented in the dark? We don't want to be in the dark. We don't like the dark. We get up in the middle of the night and we don't immediately rush to wherever we need to go, amen? We have to let our eyes adjust. But there was no adjusting for their eyes because there was absolutely no light. We've never been in a situation like this, none of us. No light at all. Complete and total darkness. They were absolutely afraid to move for three days. But here's the amazing thing. The people of Israel, God's people, God's children, had light. They went on with life as normal. Now just think, just, just think about the power of God on display here. The children of Israel lived in the land of Goshen, which was a part of Egypt. It wasn't uh, across the, the pond someplace and down over the hill, and they lived in a gully. No, they're, they're there in the land of Goshen as a part of Egypt. And somehow, God is so powerful that he blanketed the majority of the country with this darkness that could be felt while the, the children of Israel had light. How do you do that if you're not God? How do you do that if you're not sovereign over creation? Well, the, the fact of the matter is you can't. I immediately think of that song, Our God is an Awesome God. Only an awesome God could do something like that. Do you see the God that you serve in that way? Good question, isn't it? I took some time this week, obviously, to, for research purposes, to read through the ten plagues and read about the ten plagues. And it wasn't long before I, I just stopped and I made myself a note. And the note was this. The people of Egypt didn't have to be destroyed. The land of Egypt didn't have to be destroyed. Now, I know it was God's purposes. I understand that. But if you go back and read the, about the ten plagues, after every plague, God tells Moses, go in and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. You say, what's going on here? He's giving him a chance to repent. He's giving him a chance at grace. But yet, he would not repent. He, he swore off God's grace. He said, I don't need God's grace. I'm, I'm mighty Pharaoh. I'll do what I want. You're going to serve me. He kept bargaining with Moses and trying to make a deal with Moses. 
God does not make deals. God does not compromise. And Pharaoh in the land of Egypt paid the price. In fact, if you go back and read the account, you will see that the counselors came to Pharaoh and said, don't you understand? Our country is destroyed. Reminds me somewhat of World War II and Hitler. Fought to the bitter end, though his country was destroyed. So there's the opportunity for grace between each one of those plagues. But like sinful mankind today, once the pressure of the plague was removed, they hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts. But I will say again, times of tragedy often soften the hearts of unbelievers, providing us as Christians the opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel to them. Well, then notice verse 13. John says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Whenever, whenever you read the word woe in the scriptures, know that it denotes grief, misery, disaster, or horror. So what is this eagle doing? He's sounding a triple alarm, if you will, that trouble is coming. If I could say it this way, they hadn't seen anything yet. But in the message of the eagle is what? It's grace. It's grace. God's warning mankind, these things are coming. Just think about that. God doesn't, he's under no obligation to tell us anything. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so after these first four trumpet judgments, as bad as they are, the eagle goes out and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a, it's a triple woe. He's emphasizing just how bad it's going to get. And he's given mankind the opportunity to repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ. But they won't do it. It's a solemn warning to the unbelieving world to repent while they can. It's a message that time is running short and they better repent because the righteous judgment of God will only become more intense. We were talking about this a little bit briefly yesterday in our men's group. You know, we read of these judgments and let's be honest, we can be taken aback by them. Because they're severe. And people lose their lives. And the observation that, that I draw from this, or the conclusion that I draw from this is, hell must be a horrible, horrible, horrible place. 
if God is willing to send these kinds of judgments in order to warn people of the danger of hell. See, the unbeliever looks at these judgments and says, well, God's just a meanie. God's a sadist. He doesn't really care about mankind. Look how he treats them. No. If you understood anything about the horrors of hell, you will see this is an act of God's grace warning people of the danger to come. As Paul said, to flee the wrath to come. Know this, beloved. When you read of these judgments, and they are going to become more intense, more severe, the farther we go into the book, keep this thought in mind. Temporary pain is much better than eternal torment. Temporary pain is far better than eternal torment. So my question for you is, have you come to Christ? God has been gracious to you and allowed you to live this long to this point so that you could hear the gospel, so you could hear about his grace. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And my question would be, why would you wait to come to Christ? Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. We've seen just here in the past week or 10 days, life is fragile. The unexpected happens. And we don't see it coming. Why wait? Thank you.